the Books Talk podcast from Lincoln City Libraries. This program was recorded at the Bethany Branch Library on February 26, 2016. Shannon from the Walt Branch Library discusses books she has recently been reading. Okay, so the first book I'm starting with is The Thing Explainer, and it is by the same gentleman who wrote What If? Um, Answers to Crazy Scientific Questions. And this book is fun because he takes big concepts like um where was my favorite one uh, inside a thermal nuclear reactor <laughs> and he because they're little guys like if you look they're little guys fencing <laughs> so but he explains that he took i think he said the ten thousand most basic words in the english language and that's all he uses to explain everything so you will find no scientific names, no difficult math equations. This is a tiny drop of what you're made of. So it's a cell, <laughs> and then everything about the cell. So this is a really fun book. My son's been looking through it too, because there's some science like about the space shuttle and how they launch you and stuff like that. So it's a really fun book, and it explains a lot of good stuff. I think there's one about how a vacuum works, or no, how your refrigerator works that I had no idea, so it was really interesting. I really like his stuff because he he can take very complex things and break them down. And if you haven't read What If, I highly recommend it. The next one I actually don't have a book for because it's not in a book format that the library owns. You can listen to it over uh, Overdrive, but it's not um, one that you can check out which I'm not sure is a bad thing because it's not that great of a book. It's called My Tank is Fight. When I got it, it had like this really cool cover on there and it looked like, you know, one of those 1940s movie posters that has like a blonde and like lots of, like they've got like, you know, heroic moves or, you know, like Greta Garbo looking beautiful or something. But this one had like Hitler and Stalin and Winston Churchill and then for some reason there was like a blonde in the background so I thought it was like a a book about the you know World War II like a romance novel or something no it wasn't um it's it's odd (laughs) it's odd because the author takes the craziest inventions that were being made during World War II either by the Germans the um Russians, the United States, or the British. And then he, this is where it gets odd. He then postulates what would have happened if those actual machines or bombs or guns had been put into play. So he he makes a, like a theoretical development of it and then a theoretical launch of it. And I looked forever, and apparently this is cataloged as a nonfiction book, which I found very disturbing because half of it is not nonfiction. So I didn't like it because he, well, one, I don't have a great military weapons background, so a lot of this stuff kind of went over my head, and he didn't do a very good job of explaining, like, what was a typical gun and why this one was so astronomically bad. He gave you some of that, but not enough. And then I just found the whole idea of him thinking, well, if in fact the Germans did have an atomic bomb, it wouldn't help them at all. And then he goes on to these stories. So I felt really like 
either he should have tried to make like a just an, a fiction story about like if the Germans had an A-bomb and what they would have done with it or he should have just stuck to these are some crazy things that people thought would actually work one of them is a tank that they thought they could try to fly oh <laughs> a little bit heavy yeah oh. and um, sadly it was the Americans who thought of this one they um well they used to drop them by parachute yeah, it is a little Star Wars, but not really well because it could never get off the ground. It exploded a few times, and the engineering wasn't there. But then he talks about, like, if the Germans actually had a space program. And some of that, because after the war ended, a lot of the people who were within the Nazi regime came to the United States and helped build the foundation of what yeah. became NASA. Mm -hmm. So it's not like there were that was... Unprobable, but one I had trouble because I didn't know, you know, a gun from an apple, which was better, and why this was so bad. I mean, other than he made fun of it, but you know, I felt like he, sh if he wanted to, it would have been a much more fascinating. Like this is what we normally use during World War II, and here's why this one was so bad. And then he kept throwing in this uh, Russian assassin that she'd just show up in these parts and then oh, there was all this was allusion to her. Yeah, She right. must have been. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then she had a child, apparently, but he never explained it. I, I just found the whole book maddening. I didn't hate it, but I was just like, it was all over the place. It was not. So if you don't want to listen to it, don't feel yourself bad because it's not really that great. I don't get the title, My Tank is Fight. That's from The, the Flying Tank. Oh, it was what they they thought they could drop oh. them. Uh -huh. Well, should that say flight instead? No, of it fight? says fight. I double checked it. <laughs> okay. I don't know. <laughs> it might take big. I blew. Oh, I yeah, I, I don't know. It was very odd. I know. Okay, I <laughs> I picked this one up because somebody said it was hilarious. Somebody who came in, and this is a very tough one. It ended badly. This is all about thirteen of the author's opinion, the worst breakups in history. So we have things like, well, the last mm -hmm. one is Elizabeth Taylor and Debbie Reynolds, but the oh, very yeah. first one is Nero and uh, Pompeii. I was laughing really hard at some of these, and there's a reason why. There's this gentleman who, if you look on his website, he is thought to be a great impressionist painter. But it also gives a reference to him being a father of, how'd they put it, sensual touch expression. He created a sex doll. Oh. <laughs> What's his Edith Wharton doing yeah. with it? Oh, she was the girl. Oh. That was oh, the yeah. doll he made oh. out of her. He made a doll because she left him because she thought he was crazy. And not only did he make a doll, but he toted this thing around town, and everyone talked to it. Talked to it, and went to parties, yeah. and got invitations. <laughs> the talker and the talkie. Yeah, and then at the when he decided he was done with it, he broke a bottle over its head at a party, and then set it on fire. <laughs> you know, it's not a nice... But these are basically, like, people who have horrible relationships, and how badly they end. And the writer is really snarky, so she's really funny to read. It's a good, quick read. And like I said, it spans a good chunk of time. Some of them, like Debbie Reynolds and um, Elizabeth Taylor, are known, and some of them aren't. I didn't know that Norman Mailer stabbed his wife at a party. 
I know she didn't like him. Well, I could imagine after that nobody well, would was, like I him. Know it was before that. <laughs> well, he's kind of hard to like. Yeah. Well, that's and she, you know, usually she gives a picture and talks about him. She says he doesn't deserve a, any more notoriety, so she doesn't put his picture in here. I found it interesting because then, like after that one, I was like, "Well, I'm gonna have to go and look this one up." So I went and looked up more about Norman Mailer. Yeah, he's kind of <clears throat> a not nice person. Well, and like they talk about how he went on talk shows afterwards and talked about the tragedy that made him lose his Pulitzer Prize, and he would have probably won it if it hadn't been for that incident. You know, you stabbed your wife at a party and then watched her bleed for a few minutes before anyone could call the cops. So, but this is a really fun book and I really enjoyed it. So if anyone needs a good yeah, laugh. Are, yeah, these are good. Those are good. Stories yes, can, they're yeah. short stories and you can come back to them. And she does give you, if you're not familiar with the people involved, she does give you a little background of each of them so that you're not kind of lost in them. I'm going to jump down. I haven't finished this one. I've been listening to it, and I'm about halfway through. So anyone can take the book. This is Dynasty. This is all about the Caesars of Rome, oh, starting yes. with Julius Caesar. There's so many holds on that. Um, it's really well done. I'm up. Uh, he starts with Julius Caesar, and then he goes through. This is where I, I liked it because I always was confusing Octavius and Augustus, and they're mm -hmm. the same person. Right. They just changed names halfway mm -hmm. through, so it really helped because I was like, oh, that person is the same person. Mm -hmm. But he goes all the way through Augustus's life, his fight with Mark Anthony, his... The Romans had it right. You know, the English and their need for a, a male heir, just... They would adopt... Like, you'd marry a woman, oh, well, I'll just adopt their kids, and boom, I got an heir. I don't need to worry about having my own sometimes. So he used Julius Caesar's death as a way to get himself into power. And slowly with Mark Anthony and a few others, he got himself... He did what was unspeakable at the time. He would go and kill noble people or the elite in their own homes. So... Once he came to power, he kind of expunged all that. And I kind of wish the author would explain how in the world they have records of it if it got expunged. I mean, other than, like, do people have secret diaries they kept or... Mm -hmm. So, but other than that, then he talks about all the things that Augustus did and all the things that he accomplished and the Romans taking over. And then when he died, his adopted son Titus took over for him and so I'm into Titus's reign and how he's is he the really sick one no, no. Uh -uh. Mm -mm. that is um oh that's Nero isn't it yeah, yeah. he comes later oh, he's, but he's actually that works to it. his advantage because he's overlooked because he's sick and he stutters but I mean he's really mm -hmm. intelligent but because of that a lot of people overlook him so while all the other people are slaughtering each other because they all want the he kind of just sneaks in there the book is really well done it's really it's not dense like sometimes you'll read some of these history books and you're like holy moly I feel like I'm in a history class in college but this does not feel like this it's really really well researched and really well um, written and it flows well because he gives you more of a timeline version versus like a, oh this happened and then travels back in time <laughs> apparently the Romans were um, rather scandalous <laughs> because I got to this part and I was oh, yeah. dying laughing 
My husband's like, what are you talking, what are you laughing about? I'm like, the Romans put mirrors on their ceilings. Oh, well, of course they did, yeah. They were. And he's like, what? I'm like, well, apparently the Romans had a very randy side, and they like mirrors on their ceilings. So it cracked me up. But that is a really good book. I'm Like I said, I'm only about halfway through with it, but I am thoroughly enjoying it. I do worry that because he has spent so much time on Augustus that the other Caesars are going to get slammed at the back because I'm already to like section 10 of 18 and I'm still on Titus. So I'm only on the second of them. But it's a good book. Uh, Sarah Voles uh, does commentary on um, This American Life. So you might recognize the name if you ever listen to that on NPR. I found her style a little meandering. Like she'll she'll start a topic and then go to another one and then come back to it. I so I found it kind of all over the board. So I didn't enjoy this book just because I one knew most of the things she was talking about. So I think this would be good for somebody who's just entering into American history, but it is about all the presidents that have been assassinated and she goes to either their birth homes or where they were assassinated. Yeah, it's a little morbid. So the first one she takes care of is Abraham Lincoln. So she spends a lot of time in Washington, D.C. Did she go to visit all the assassins' homes? She did. I mean, like Booth and, um, and all his henchmen? Well, she spent more time visiting the presidents the that old, were assassinated. Old. So she went to Garfield. She went to Lincoln. She went to McKinley. So she went to their either their libraries or their homes if they were still in good condition so I mean it's a cute book it was not my favorite I don't know I mean I've read a lot of American history so I found a lot of it like okay I already know this let's move on and I think she was trying to give more tidbits like if you really want to get on Jeopardy this might be a good book to read <laughs> because there are lots of little tidbits here and there that obs obscure things it's not a bad book I'd give it an eh <laughs> but this one I've started and I really like it. This is Lafayette in somewhat United States. And this is all about Lafayette. And I just started this one. Sometimes I feel like Lafayette is a character that gets pushed aside a lot. He was flamboyant. He was extravagant. He was French. He was French. <laughs> I mean, he helped us win the Revolutionary War. He did, and he helped George Washington with some of the designs of the Capitol buildings. I right. mean, how much he did and how much was done by other people has mm -hmm. been debated, but you can definitely see his stamp on some of the buildings. Mm -hmm. So it's all about his life, where he came from, when he went back to France after the end of his life. Like I said, I've only just started it, but I'm thoroughly enjoying this one a lot. This one, I feel, is a lot stronger book than that one is because one is just one character, and so she can give a lot more of her research history to it versus that one, which kind of just meanders everywhere. And I, like I said, this is a guy that I think needs a little more appreciation sometimes. London Under. Huh. Uh, this one I picked up because I was trying to trying to pad my book list here because I was looking a little thin. Has anyone read the book Being Victorian? Oh, it's a really good book. It's actually just like little snippets of what it was like to be to live in Victorian times. So they'll give you like if you got up in the morning, this is the things that would happen in your day. You would put your feet on 
if you were able to afford a rug, it would be made out of this. It's really, like, really detailed. So if you're reading about Victorian times, I like to go and reference it because they have this one thing where they have a guy who has a stick and it's got a nail on it. And his job is in the morning he'll go and tap on your window because most people didn't have alarm clocks. So they would oh. pay him like a penny a week. And so he would come and tap on their windows to wake them up in the morning so that they could get to work on time. And so there's and all kinds of what? Being Victorian? Being Victorian. I don't have the author's last name, but I know the library owns it. But this one is all about the London Underground. And in that Being Victorian book, they talk about how the Victorians were some of the best recyclers ever because despite the fact that they were not built on a strong city and there was a lot of waste, there were always people who were like churning through the muck to find rags or to find metal. or Like in Our Mutual Friend by Dickens. Uh-huh. The dust heaps. Yep. And oh, yeah. and the dust heaps, but they're like garbage dumps. Pretty much. Mm -hmm. Or the people who would go under the city and clean out the muck because then they could use that for tanning or things like that. And there's small children that were kidnapped and sent into the Thames mm -hmm. in the mud. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Or when the Thames would roll back, they'd send these, I think they call them scavengers, the little kids that would go out there and dig everything they could up mm -hmm. and then take it back. So the oh, London Underground talks about the development of the underground, then later on the tube stations. And it's kind of interesting because <laughs> I keep, I hear references to how bad it is, like uh, I think Bill Bryson makes a reference in one of his books about how confusing the London Underground is. And Did how? So I don't know. No, I, I don't think so. Oh, okay, I, they are really explicit. You can, very, yeah. yeah, you okay. just go where you want to go. Okay, well maybe Bryson's wrong. Yeah. He hasn't been to London in a while, oh. so. But I found this book really interesting because it's all just about the London Underground and how it was built, and it takes you all the way through modern times, and how they were used during World War II as bunkers, and how they were used during the Victorian times, and how a lot of the tube stations are built on old tunnels that people built so it's a cute little book i enjoyed it because it gave me some better background on other things i was reading national geographic this month it's art one of its articles was about digging mm -hmm. archaeological digs under london oh and yeah they're doing some huge things they're doing the underground underground mm -hmm. and they had one of the best schematics that i've seen it shows London during the Roman times and then the Victorian times and how the ground got higher as these civilizations oh, yeah. <laughs> endured here <laughs> and where these things were dug, were, were buried. Mm -hmm. And it's just a really fascinating article, I'll if you like that. that kind of thing. I do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, and not too long ago, what was it, Charles the Second, they thought they found his body. You mean Richard the Third? Richard the Third. They found him in a car right. park. Yeah. In a what? Yeah. Right. They yeah. have a book on it. It's yes. an excellent book. Yes. If you yes. ever want to read a really good book about oh, yeah. Richard the Third, I do. What is it called? It's just called Richard the Third. Yeah. And it includes the car park? Uh-huh, yep. <laughs> it was because it's written by the woman who um, uh, found him. And she had been pushing for a long yes. time because she thought he was there. Uh -huh. And they kept telling her no, no, no. And she finally finally either overrode somebody or got some really good friends. I forget how the story And they started digging, and then they found him. And they well, verified him with a very uh, far oh. descendant uh -huh. from Canada. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. And oh, now they're finding some other people in there too. There's yeah. been two nuns mm. found and 
They found another sarcophagus yeah. in there. So really, yeah. What well, led him to believe that Richard the Third was buried well, the, there? The things that he had on, I guess. The yeah. The, what was, he was in injured. the tomb? And his final. Deformity. Right, right. Yeah. I guess it wasn't really as bad as we think. The way Shakespeare's Richard III is always done, he's always real yeah. hunchback. Mm -hmm. But he really yeah. was not a bad king. And there is an, a group in England that is all for Richard III, and they oh, yeah. are a very fierce group. Mm -hmm. And I, I appreciate that because he well, was not. they supported her quest. Because mm -hmm, uh, he was not a bad king the way some literature can make him out to be. Well, well, but, anyways. You know, neither was Macbeth. He ruled for 17 years. There was none of that, you know, with Macduff, mm -hmm. the sword fight at the end of the play. Mm -hmm. No. Well, did you think bad politics were just current? <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, I I didn't realize that I had had actually a few books on here by the same author. I started this one, but I'm going to talk about this one first, The American Creation. This book was written before the quartet, and you can see parts of the quartet in this American Creation book. He wants to try to explain how some of the most creative and forward-thinking men could create a nation but do some really dumb things in the process, like allow slavery to continue, like the, the treatment of the Native Americans. Well, not everyone did. I mean, Benjamin Franklin, during their conferences, was like, well, why don't we get rid of slavery? And about everyone in the you know, house had about a coronary about it. So this book starts with the Declaration of Independence and moves through Washington's presidency, through Adams' presidency, to um, Thomas Jefferson's presidency. And I did not realize what a snake in the grass Thomas Jefferson oh, was. No, 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 I won't listen to that. <laughs> Sorry. Well, then don't read this book. I won't read that book. Oh, man, that man could move and shift. You might have some, I mean, there's some pretty concrete evidence in here. He had, he had all the makings of a modern, I talk this way. No, I talk this way. I'll do this. Oh, now I'm president. I'll do this. Because he talked about how he did not feel, there's a great example of the Jay Compromise, in which mm -hmm. the United States made an agreement with Great Britain, mm -hmm. saying that they would open shipping lanes, they would do more trading. And as Thomas Jefferson, the representative, was furious that Jay and George Washington had went through with this and he thought that George Washington and Jay had no right to do this only the Senate had the right to make this rule yeah. well <clears throat> Thomas Jefferson gets into oh office and suddenly Napoleon wants to sell wow. a giant chunk of land and yeah. he just goes for it buys it right up doesn't even qualm about the fact that he just you know did something executively without so he tries to make it sound like Thomas Jefferson was trying to play the game the best way he knew how. And he does give Thomas Jefferson the benefit of the doubt that once they had bought in the Louisiana Purchase, he was not ever happy with it. And that's why it's not on his tombstone as his list of credits. Because afterwards... The presidency isn't either on his no, tombstone. No, no. <laughs> well, depending on the side, and he tries to give both... Thomas Jefferson wanted to be president, and Thomas Jefferson didn't want to be president. So, because it's a fascinating aspect of, and I really wish they'd bring it back, that those who wanted to be president never campaigned to be president because they thought it was beneath them. So they had 
other people do it for oh, them. Always, yeah, for a long so time. So you wouldn't be listening to Donald Trump right now. <laughs> well, the other one that he kind of makes look a is John Adams. John Adams. They hated each other. Well, they did hate each other. Yes. And Abigail hated Thomas Jefferson well, more. Woo! That woman yeah. could write some nasty notes. She was for women's rights. Though. If you ever want a really good book, there's one about John and Abigail. There's actually mm -hmm. a few about John and Abigail, and there I've I haven't read a bad one yet. I really enjoy Abigail. She she cracks me up mm -hmm. how she kind of ran her household and ran her boys. But John Adams did not want. Let's put it this way: he wanted to make sure he was in the boys' club. So if everyone was going to be monumized and canonized through their history, he wanted to make sure that he was in there, and he wasn't entirely sure he was going to be. So if he wasn't going to be, he didn't want anyone to be. So he makes this big deal about let's not have, you know, names. Let's not name it Washington. Let's not make it a, you know, make a monument to Washington or because he was so concerned that he was not going to be one of the ones remembered through history. So if he was going to be remembered through history, he was okay with it. But if he wasn't, he didn't want anyone. So I like that about him. But they do start with them talking about the documents and the states and coming up with, you know, what are we going to do about slavery? And they do spend time on it. And the author does take them to task of how they could say things like, you know, life, liberty, and not even think, well, that means slaves too. And how he tries to put them in the context of where they lived and what they did and how how while the slavery issue was not one that they ever broached because a lot of them didn't think of it that way, that the Native American issue was one that they did feel passionately about. And they talk about how George Washington really wanted to treat the Native, Amer Native Americans as their own sovereign nation and to deal with them that way. And even him and all of his clout and all of his demand couldn't stop the tidal wave of the people that were just rolling through the West. And it wasn't so much the leaders that had the problem or it wasn't so much the leaders that were breaking treaties. While there were some, it was just the fact that people were just moving and they couldn't stop them and they couldn't control them and they couldn't they couldn't rein them in. As much as Washington tried, he could never bring them back or just well, hold them back. Washington had dealt with the tribes, mm -hmm. you know, in the when he when he was still fighting for the British. Mm -hmm. And so he had mm -hmm. dealt with them as sovereign groups. Mm -hmm. But you know, that time they really weren't talking about anybody but white males who owned property. That's mm -hmm. exactly right. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. well, and that was yeah. that was their tradition. I mean, mm -hmm. come on, they mm -hmm. came from England basically, right. mm -hmm. and it was white males that owned property. Can't really quarrel with it. That's just the way it was. Mm -hmm. I, yes and no. I mean, these were the same men that said that they wanted to be treated they did not want to be put in a caste system that they didn't want to never be able to make make themselves who they were so on one side they were willing to we are better because we're more educated so we will run the country there was a lot of that sentiment in the way they wanted to run the country they wanted it to be just these educated group that will make the rules because yeah. they knew best are the enlightened but at the same time they a few of them could see the hypocrisy in which they were standing because they were saying basically what they had been telling telling the British they would not stand for. You cannot cast me, you cannot set me in. So I liked the book because it, it took the framework that we're all familiar with and kind of asked deeper, more 
singular questions of how they dealt with things that were going on in their time versus well we're looking back and how could you have done this to slavery and how could you have not treated the Native Americans mm -hmm. better so he tries to take the characters Adams Washington Thomas Jefferson um, Jay Monroe and put them in the context of their environment and he talks about how how their friendships changed the way they dealt with each other or how their situations in life created the way they are. I mean, Washington was a taskmaster on his own plantation and he was one in Washington. He expected things done and he had a certain way. I found it interesting because it was a little more, sometimes people, sometimes authors bite off more than they can chew when they make a book. And I think this author did a really good job of sticking within his time, within his framework. He wanted to ask these questions and he wanted to see if he could answer them. So I like that one. And you were happy with his answers. <laughs> I was not totally, but I liked it. There was a lot of information in here that I had not heard before. So mm -hmm. I found it was a good jumping point to do more reading on mm -hmm. the subject. I wouldn't say that I was entirely happy with everything. What does he say about the fact that women were not allowed to vote? He doesn't even talk about Adam it. Right? He didn't, probably no. didn't even uh -uh. rise. Because that was not an issue. Mm -hmm. It was assumed that women were too dumb to do that. See, that's mm -hmm. what we're saying is that the intellectual environment at that time mm -hmm. was they had a great deal of influence well, on, yeah, there is one reference because abigail takes abigail john to yeah. task right don't forget the yeah That's and right. saying you know if you're going to be giving these rights that you so desired what about the women who helped you get here and mm -hmm. it's just like an anecdote so it was one that was put in somewhere but never uh, discussed. At the beginning of the book, he doesn't set out to answer that question. So I guess it depends. I mean, are you looking for him to answer the questions he set out to? Or are you looking for him to give you the... I mean, he wanted to discuss how these men who could come up with a form of government that has functioned so well, that is living and moving within the dynamics of a changing world, deal with the issues that were there. And his two things were slavery and the Native Americans. I found this book the weaker of the two. I enjoyed this book, The Quartet, a lot more. I think he was still developing a, a writing style that really shows better in this one. The Quartet is about, as he says, the second not, it's the second revolution where you go from declaring yourself an independent country to the Constitution. And it's that very narrow time frame between there. So the, the end of the war and the um, signing of the Constitution. Well, you're pretty vulnerable. Yes. Mm -hmm. I guess it was one of those, well, no duh moments for me because I was like, you know, when you learn about it in history, it's like, well, the Americans fought in the American Revolutionary War, and then we signed the Constitution, and mm -hmm. we move on. Yeah, and but, then I mean, 20 years there's later, like a president. great <laughs> history in between those times that I've never mm -hmm. learned about. So I found this book fascinating because it was an area I didn't know much about. And the backdoor politicking and the vote counting, mm -hmm. I mean, we are so lucky to have someone like Monroe that really wanted this and wanted it so hardcore because that man... He counted up people. He was so well prepared. He was willing to show and do anything that he had to. And so the main people are Washington, uh, Thomas Jefferson, Monroe, and Jay. Um, Why Jay? I, he's Madison, a Supreme I Court guy. I would have picked Madison. He's, he's well, Jay, Jay was good at, 
he talked to a lot of people, and, you know, and after, well, there's a great telling moment, like after the Constitution, they've set out the Constitution and they send it to the states and say, okay, now you have to ratify it. Mm -hmm. And the stipulation is you're going to ratify it, and then you can make suggestions, but you're not going to make suggestions before you ratify it. We'll take those suggestions. And New York was their biggest problem because there was a guy there that basically had his own, like, little fiefdom and he was not giving that up to the constitution and so jay worked really hard in new york to get it passed and afterwards the guy was just throwing this tantrum about you know we need these rules we need this stuff and he was threatening to have another convention and washington and jefferson and everyone's like freaking out about right what they're going to do and he says just let them just let them fight they're just they're going to blow smoke until they, you know, it's just like a tantrum. And sure enough, it was because they, they couldn't get anyone to side with them. What I found frustrating about this book is there are all these references to Rhode Island. How Rhode Island is like the hillbillies of the 13 colonies. But he never explains why. Because none, none of the other states want to be Rhode Island. So, like, New York finally agrees to sign because they don't want to be like Rhode Island. Rhode Island didn't send anyone to the convention, but he never explains why. So I seriously need to go find out what in the world was going on I in think Rhode it was like they had, like you want to say, a, a lower class of populace. They used to re refer to it as Rokes Island. Uh-huh. I mean, that the lower class of people oh. in Rhode Island. But that's the only, there's all these references. Nobody wants to be Rhode Island. So they all like kind of form into line. Mm. So this book is great because it is just between the end of the war and the constitution being signed and all of the things that went into them realizing we've got to get something. Because mm. basically after the war, everyone's like, I'm out, we're going back to our own little fiefdom. Because mm. all of them thought of themselves as 13 separate nations. Oh, right. Mm. And they was starting to tariff things coming in from like New York or mm -hmm. um, Virginia. So it's really interesting how they got this well, through. the Articles of Confederation did recognize each one as a separate. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's separate why that was country. the real struggle. Mm -hmm. And it, it wasn't working, but they originally mm -hmm. thought it would. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Every time I read an American history book about the American <laughs> Revolution, I am astounded we ever won. Because in here, Washington is constantly complaining about how he has no money. They won't feed his troops. Mm -hmm. They won't give him money. Mm -hmm. The fact that we ever got anywhere is astounding to yes. me. Because it mm -hmm. is just like, you know, a lot of them were, were fine fighting for their own farm. But they weren't going to look past the end of their nose to go fight for a neighbor two towns away farm. And it's just like, oh my gosh, guys, seriously. So... I really enjoyed this book. I liked it a lot better than well, the American. I read one, it's been a couple of years ago. Here, I'll send them this And one. that author said that the reason that we won the re revolution was because the British Army was in such bad shape that oh. anybody mm -hmm. could have beaten them. Yeah. And the other thing is, is that, you know, in American history books, they don't talk about King George's sanity. And so I'm having a friend send me a book from England because I'd really mm -hmm. like to know, like, how unhinged was George? Was this like, 
a slight malady? Were we talking to wall? You know, like how? Because everyone's like they don't discuss that, and I w- always wondered if that was a factor in not dealing with this in a different way. But I'd really like to know if that had like were there enough people around them that they could just do things without talking to him, or like were were they just waiting for him? So that'd be a, yeah. I would like to know that about that a bit more. The next one I have is the soul of an octopus. Oh, I didn't know they had one. <laughs> they do. They're very sweet. This this book really opened my eyes to how sweet octopuses are. They're adorable. And they're cunning. This book is all about, well, this, has anyone read H for Hawk? Okay, it's about a woman who buys a gosling hawk after her father dies and trains it to go hawking it was recommended you know how amazon always like, oh if you like this book try this one so i was like okay i'll try it this one is all about a woman who decides to start learning about octopuses and they are so sweet octopi 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 that sounds awkward in here she starts with little anecdotes about them and in the san francisco zoo one night, a security guard noticed this little puddle of water, and so he kind of follows the puddle of water and finds what he thinks is a banana peel on the middle of the floor. Oh. And he picks it up and realizes that it is an octopus. The zoo didn't even realize they had one. It had apparently attached itself to a rock that they had bought and shipped mm-hmm. in and had lived in the fish tank for five years without anyone knowing it was there. <laughs> so she goes on to talk about how she starts to work at this aquarium. And one of the volunteers is an engineer. And so what he does is that he builds these boxes so that the octopi can get in and get their food. Well, they can figure out how to lock and move and shift things. Mm-hmm. And they can also crush things. I didn't realize this, but if you gave them something and like they realized food was in it, they could wrap their body around it and just crush it down. It's really awesome. So he, he spends his time building these boxes for them, and he can never give them the same one twice because they'll know how to do it instantly. So it's all about what I felt was like a creature I really knew nothing about. And she does talk about how they are very mysterious. You don't see them. They're kind of like squid. You don't see them a lot. Squid are much more um, elusive. So I just enjoyed this book. And she it kind of meanders into her own life and stuff like that. But I just enjoyed that. All the stuff about the octopi. Well, and I also learned that they don't live very long. So in captivity, like she, the very first day she gets to meet one and they, they get to put their arms in. You can never put more than your arms. Even their trainers never put more than their arms into the water because if you put more, they are bound to like pull you in. And while they wouldn't intentionally try to hurt you, that would probably be their curious nature that could hurt you with all of their abilities in their arms because they will just like wrap you up so she sticks her arms in and this one comes over and she's looking at her and then soon she realizes that she's got arms crawling up her arms and have wrapped like she didn't even notice wrapped her and they're just kind of tickling her and i'm like oh well i think they're cool i'm not sure i'd be that comfortable (laughs) but those suction oh yeah huge cherry on you the last one I just picked up off the new bookshelf, and I'm really sorry if anyone had holes because I commandeered it. 
Um, a Thousand Naked Strangers. I totally picked this up for the title. Mm. <laughs> okay. I was like, what in the world? It's all about an EMT. Okay. So after 9-11, he feels that he's not doing anything meaningful and and because he has all these friends who are going off to war and are doing things to help their country and he just feels useless so he decides he's going to become an emt so it's all about his time as an emt in atlanta from i think it's 2004 through 2013 he later becomes a medic i didn't realize there was a distinction an emt is just basically they can put you in a stretcher, they can give you a CPR, but they can't give you meds, whereas a medic has more responsibilities and can give you meds and do more things for you. But holy moly, the things that go on in Atlanta. I did not realize this, but when I went and looked up information about Atlanta, Atlanta has the most strip clubs of any city in the United States. The South is riddled with it. I was like, wow. Gen yeah, you could call them gentlemen's clubs. My favorite story in here is that they go, they get a call that someone has apparently nailed themselves to a wall. And so they, they go to the call, and it is a gentleman who has taken one of those air pressure nail guns and nailed it through his elbow into the plaster of the wall because he doesn't want his woman leaving. And she wants him out of the house because apparently she's found somebody else. So he's yelling at her, she's yelling at him, and they have to try to figure out how to get him out of the wall. Well, he's managed to nail himself to a stud, so they can't just pull it out, and they can't, so they have to call the firemen, who have to then cut the hole. And so then he's running around, because he apparently must have also been on something, with Chunk of wood. Chunk of wood, a chunk of wall, a nail gun, running around the house. So then they have to call the cops. I would seriously have loved a bit of fly on the wall to watch that. But that's what this book is kind of about. It's about the people he meets, the people he works with, the environment he works in. And he has funny stories. He talks about going to become a med, a medic, and then um, at the end... They have a couple kids, and since he always works at night, he realizes that it's better for him to be a stay-at-home dad. So at the end, he just he leaves so that he can watch his kids. But it is a great, funny, silly, sad book all wrapped into one. If anyone needs something that will keep you up at night, this is one. And I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, that's all I have. Well, that was good. That was very good. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast from Lincoln City Libraries. If you would like to comment on this or any of our podcasts, you can do so by visiting our podcast page at lincolnlibraries.org slash podcasts, where you can also download our podcasting theme music for use as your ringtone. You can become a fan of our podcast by searching for Lincoln City Libraries podcasts on Facebook. Mm -hmm.